So the reading today is taken from Psalm 99 and is on page 603 in your Bible. <clears throat> the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim, let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion, he is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exhort the Lord our God. Thank you, Vivian. Um, let me start with a prayer. <clears throat> Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for the Lord our God is holy. Uh, Lord, it is a wonderful and great thing that you would take us and make us your people so that we might be able to understand and know you, to have your words and have them go to work. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear you now, that you'd help me to point uh, us to you, Jesus, and by your spirit, Lord, that we would worship you, this holy God, our Father in heaven, uh, more and more with our hearts and with our minds and all that we do as well. Be with us now, I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so the, this psalm, <clears throat> we're in the series in the Psalms at the minute, uh, called the Royal Psalms. They're about uh, the Lord being king of passages to help us to praise the Lord our God. Why do you want to listen? Because it's the word of God, that's why you want to listen, but also specifically because here is resilience in the face of the world and life. Confidence that the world, so out of our control, is under Jesus' control. That helps us be resilient. You hear that word a lot in schools these days, but not how to have it or why to have it. We're going to get that today. You've got wildfires raging around the world. feels like it's totally out of control, doesn't it? There's wars going on. There's Sudan, the Ukraine, Russia. It feels totally out of our control. What can I possibly add to that? In Pakistan, the violence against Christians, which is even making our national press amazingly, that is totally out of our control. You might have had some exam results this week. Or maybe there's been some horrible mess in your life that's come about through what you've done. The future is totally out of my control. As a rear tyre blew out, it's totally beyond my control. In all of this, where is God? I can't see him. In all this, how does it feel that you can't see him and it's all out of control? I feel worried. Unsure that God makes a difference. Or maybe worse. Maybe he does and he's deliberately absenting himself because of my sin or my mess. And so you start to think, well, what's the point of 
prayer or church or living for Jesus. We make the Lord our God small and the chaos of the world big. And then fear and disobedience of the Lord starts to erode our praising and our living for the Lord. What's the point here? Jesus is in charge. And so you've got every reason to praise the Lord our God. The people reading this psalm, God's people would have been in exile at one point in another country. A small, weak, defeat fit in. They're foreigners in a different land where the older generation seems to have little or no power to change the culture around them and a younger generation have got all the pressure just to conform and fit with the Babylonians. The temptation in that situation is to lose confidence, to feel like you're on the losing team and the chaos of the world and the nations appears bigger than God and so fear and, uh, and just giving in to do whatever the culture around you wants uh, creeps in. Does that sound familiar? Yeah? Well, in many ways, that sadness that was actually expressed in Psalm 89, calling out to the Lord for the king is not here and we can't see him and it all feels broken and the nations are laughing at us as your people. All of that sadness is answered in this psalm. There's lots of parallels between the two and the words. Uh, and instead, we get this loud proclamation the Lord is in charge, Jesus is the boss. And so the way this works, the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, he is holy. And it appears again in verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain for the Lord our God is holy. And the idea is, is the two bits in between are like video clips to sort of psych us up and to make us want to praise and worship God. It's exactly like, um, is she called Weigman, the, the lioness football coach? I feel, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her name. But they've been showing loads of clips about our women's football team, haven't they? About who they are and their past success. And the aim of those videos is to get us to go, yeah, they're brilliant, we're with them. This is exactly like that for God. We get two little clips, and then at the end, the chorus we're supposed to join in with, yes, God is brilliant. That's what we're doing. And so the first one of those clips is verses uh, 1 through to 4. It just helps us see that Jesus is in charge. Let me read those. Read them with me. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord. You've established equity in Jacob. You've done what is just and right. There are three things about the Lord here to start with. One, he reigns. That means the Lord is in charge. Not the United States or Russia or Islam or North Korea, nor any ideology or political movement. The Lord is in charge. Those nations and movements might scoff at and they might mock and they might make fun of the Lord. But in reality, end of verse 1, let the nations tremble. That's what they should be doing because the Lord's in charge. Here's the second thing about the Lord. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. That's quite weird sounding, isn't it? What you sit on says a lot about you, doesn't it? If you sit on a high chair, or you sit on a plain chair, or you sit on a posh chair, or you sit on a gold and velvet antique chair in a massive palace, it tells you a lot about that person, doesn't it? You're a baby, you're an ordinary person, you think you're a bit high and mighty, or you're the king, right? What does God sit on, Queen? What does that say about you? That's what the cherubim are. They're terrifying heavenly creatures with these crazy wings and 
And they sit either side, and God just hovers in between. You see them on the Ark of the Covenant. What does it say about you that that's where you live? That's where you sit? What does it say about you that there is nothing in creation capable or worthy of this person? It says that you are the infinite creator without beginning or end. Present in all places and all points of time with all of your being. The idea of sitting doesn't even seem to work with God. He's so magnificent, this king. And so the end of that verse is true, isn't it? Let the earth shake. The uncreated creator and so creation shakes before him. Here's another thing about the Lord. Great is the Lord in Zion. That means there's no one bigger than the Lord in his heavenly city. Can you see that in verse 2? Great is the Lord in Zion. There's no nation bigger than him. There's no one bigger than him. Not you, not me, not our mates, not the multitude of social media, not my feelings, not even chance. The Lord is the loftiest of the nations the world has ever known. Come and go before him like sparrows. You can't outlive him. You can't outthink him. You can't overcome him. And so he is, end of verse 2, exalted over all the nations. That's who our Lord is. No wonder, verse 3 says, let them, that is all the nations, without exception, praise the Lord. Praise your great and awesome name, because he is holy. Verse 4, the king is mighty. Can you see how it's building? To help us see how huge this person is. The king is mighty, verse 4. What does he love? He loves justice. That is fairness. That's what the equity means. Justice uh, and fairness. The psalmist turns here to address God himself. Can you see how it becomes a you? Uh, uh, He can't see God, but he can see the Lord's love of justice in how he has dealt with his people, Jacob. That's why Jacob gets mentioned there. It's not one bloke. It's a whole people. So he says, the king is mighty, he loves justice, you have established equity. In Jacob you have done, see in the past, what is just and right. First he promised Jacob, and then the Lord married his people with his law when he gave it to them on Sinai. That's what he did. And then he brought them to his home in Canaan by his power. That's what he did. The Lord set up his kingdom of justice and equity on earth through this people. That's how we know he's this mighty king. But it didn't work, not because God was too small, but because God's people couldn't live in that kingdom of justice, because they were so unjust and wrong and messy. And the history that this psalm, and we're all looking forward to, that this psalm is looking forward to, and all that stuff in history, is looking forward to Jesus. We look back not at Jacob, But we look back at Jesus and his people. 1 Colossians 13 says, For he, that is Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Do you see, the Lord promised us Jesus by his words. He saved us from slavery to sin through Jesus' death and resurrection that we're going to celebrate in a minute. King is the mighty An incredible Jesus. He is in charge. He is the Lord that is referred to here. 
He is the mighty king who reigns, enthroned between the cherubim, great in Zion, with a trail behind him of superpowers and nations that have mocked Jesus' rule and have failed. Remember what he has done with us and for us as his people. And it makes us want to do verse 5. Exalt the Lord, our God. He's ours. And worship at his footstool. He is holy. There is none like him. And then more quickly, the second kind of snippet that we get, if that's the first kind of little video of who God is, the next snippet we get from verse 6 and 7 and 8 is kind of what our relationship with is. And there's this special relationship king. Here's a picture, because you need a picture. I love this picture. I've probably used it before. I'm sorry if I have. Hands up if you know who that is at the desk. And it's JFK. So he was formerly the President of the United States. And that is his son under the desk of power. What do you see when you look at that? Mighty power. Basically, we're like, we're like JFK's son. Jesus is at the desk there like JFK. It, what do you see? Mighty power, but a person who belongs to the person under the desk. A person who deals with huge and mighty things, but he cares for us like he cares, like JFK cares for his son. There's a guy at the desk with many phones who listens to many, many people and things. But actually, relationships and enemies going on above the desk, aren't there? But there's nothing that the boy under the desk can do to stop him being the son of JFK. That's what this next bit is telling us. It's confusing, I know, because the words are tricky. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who call on his name. Priests made a special relationship with this terrifying, huge Lord enthroned in Zion. Jesus is our priest forever now. He died for our sins that we're going to celebrate in a minute so we could be the Lord's kids under his desk like that. The amazing creator God is so inaccessible that, do you see in verse 7, he spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. That's a reference to him in the Old Testament. God went around in a cloud because he's so inaccessible he can't even be with his people. And yet Jesus made a way for the Lord's Spirit to live in each one of us, caring for each one of us, listening to the thoughts of our hearts before we do, and answering them. Just like like I'm the worst of those enemies. But we are forgiven. Do you see the reminder of that here at the end of verse um, verse 7? Sorry, end of verse 8. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Our misdeeds are punished, but it's not us. It lands on Jesus. And that means that we're forgiven. And so we can have this relationship here like this. Isn't that brilliant? And most of all, here is our God. Do you see it's repeated in verse 9 and verse 5? This is our God. Someone who we call on, verse 6, and who answers, verse 6. Can you see that? In this way. It's what it means to be in this special relationship with this mighty God through Jesus. In Hebrews 7, 7 we read, unlike the other high priests, he does not need, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day to make us right with God. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. 
Isn't that brilliant? The mighty Lord is in charge. And we have a very special relationship with him like this. That's why Psalm 99 ends with this amazing, exalt the Lord our God, verse 9, and worship his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. He belongs to us. How wonderful. Doesn't that make you want to want to worship him and glorify him? That he is our God in that way. It's like a picture of the end of days in Revelation where we will see this king face to face. And all big, someone's in control. And they're in control for me. If you just have a God, any nameless God, is he big enough? I don't know, is he? If you have a big God, that's great. You have a great he might be able to do it, but does he want to do anything about these things? Is he disinterested or cross maybe? Will he actually deliver me? But if you've got the Lord Jesus in control, then he's big enough and he wants to act, doesn't he? Because it's this relationship that we have. For big problems, I want a big God with a big love. Big problems, I want a big God with big love. And that's what we've got in Jesus. And so the question for us from this psalm is, will we exalt and worship the Lord Jesus, even when it feels like he's not there, that we are on the losing team, and that the world and our world is out of control? Will we exalt and worship? Exalt and worship, all that means, it's a bit like what we're doing with the Lionesses football team right now, even if you're not a football fan, you can't have missed. We're making them great, we're getting excited about them, we're getting behind them as well. It's just like that with Jesus. We make him great. We get excited about him. And we get behind him doing what he says. And this psalm points the way of what we, how we uh, And then we exalt him. We make him big. See how this psalm makes... You couldn't make God any bigger, could you, in this psalm? When you have a worry, what proportion of your time with that worry... Maybe your exam results and you're thinking about the future. Maybe, I don't know what it is... When you're worrying about something, what proportion of your time do you spend thinking about the thing that's out of your control? And what proportion of your time do you spend thinking about the person who loves you who is in control of that thing? This is me. There's the, there's the bar chart for how much I think about my worry. And here's about how often I think about the person who's in control of that. It'd be about here, I think, probably. Yeah, are you like that? Do you recognise that? You probably don't. Maybe you don't. I'm like that. This psalm says, do it the other way around. Think about the person who loves you, who's in control of everything. This will suddenly seem a lot smaller. It won't be smaller, but it'll feel a lot smaller. That's our opportunity. That's what this psalm does for us. And then uh, worship Jesus with praise and thanksgiving. Offer yourselves, your lives and your bodies to Lord to what can I do here for you, Lord? Do you hear that? I want to change. I feel like everything's out of control and he's not there. I want to change what I say in my head from what are you doing, Lord? To what can I do for you here, Lord, to worship you? That's the difference we're aiming for. It's not wrong to lament and to find stuff difficult. We should do that. We should weep with those who weep. But to resolve that into worship that seeks to serve God and Jesus and the Spirit in those circumstances, rather than to be served. It's a focus that's not inward but outward on the Lord. What are you doing, Lord? Yep, 
to what can I do for you here in this Lord? So here's what I don't know what you've got on at the minute. Maybe it's your own future or exams, you know, the exam boards or your own mess. These things do not control your future. Jesus does. That's great, isn't it? Because he loves you so much. He went to the cross. And so if you have got stuff that you're worried about, adjust that percentage of time that you have thinking about the worry versus the person who's in control of the worry. Our Lord is so big that even the greatest problems seem small when you put them in his hands. Where the news gets worse, do some praise propelling instead. Jesus gets more amazing that way. Meditate on the Lord and how he has acted in history and how he will again. Jesus is big enough for you to put down your phone and to turn off the news feed and to turn on a song of worship. You can let go of the big stuff and turn to him. Maybe the nations are bent against Jesus, like in Pakistan we've been reading about in the press. Or maybe it's just the quiet but deeply effective cultural shaming out of Christian belief. Let's call on our Lord who answers and who hears and answers, because he's our God. And he is mightier than any political movement or ideology that's ever existed. And let's do that with confidence that we are on the winning team. It's not even like the lionesses who might win in an hour and a half. He's already won because he's risen from the dead. Our Lord Jesus is in charge. Let's praise and worship him. Let's pray. Lord God, in a moment we're going to be celebrating your supper with one another and thinking, Lord, how this Lord Almighty did care for us and look after us and act for us in history. And Lord, we see how you've been doing that in your church for thousands of years. And Lord, so I pray that you would give us peace about those things, Lord, that we are worried about. That you give us peace about feeling like we're on our own and we're the only one here in this church or in our school or in our workplace. Give us peace about that because we know we're on the winning team and you are mighty beyond all imagining and you are mighty to save and to love and to care. We thank you all for that reminder. Amen.